<laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. Be sure to tell the people that fixes your, that prepares your feast, thank you for all that they do. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Galatians chapter 5. We're also going to look at Romans chapter 5 again today. Uh, this Thursday in our Thanksgiving celebration, a typical scene will unfold. Some of you may share this same scene. I will grab a plate and standing next to me will be one of my little girls and I'll be trying to get her some food. And so all the food will be laid out on the on the bar there where we're supposed to go by and get it. And I'll say, okay, McKenna, do you want some turkey? Yeah, I want some turkey. So I'll put some turkey on the plate. And well, how about some gravy? Do you want some gravy? And she'll look at me and go, yuck. Well, do you want some stuffing? And McKenna will probably say something like, ooh, no way. I don't want any stuffing. Well, do you want some broccoli? We have some broccoli here. Well, does it have nuts in it, Daddy? Yeah, it's got nuts in it. Well, then I don't want it. But you like nuts. I don't like nuts and broccoli. (sighs) Okay, well, how about some green beans? Well, I love green beans, but those green beans have little onions on top of it. I don't want those green beans. Well, what are you going to eat, McKenna? You have to have a vegetable. So then we'll go down to the appetizer tray where you have those carrot sticks and celery that sits around the appetizer. You know, the ham ball goes in the middle, and everybody eats the ham ball, and you put a few veggies out just so you feel better about yourself, but nobody actually eats them. And so we'll get her some of those carrot sticks and celery, and she'll be happy, and she'll sit down with her turkey, her carrot sticks, and her celery, and she'll be fine. And I'll be sitting down thinking to myself how amazed I am that we have all this good stuff out in front of us wonderful, delicious food, and how she doesn't see the good stuff. You know, many of us, we stand in the line of life, and our lives are full of so much good stuff. God has blessed us in so many ways, but we stand there in the line of life and we miss it. In fact, we see good stuff right in front of us, and we say, yuck. We complain about the, facts that the, about the fact that there's nuts mixed in with our broccoli. And we don't appreciate some of the good things that God has brought our way. Sometimes we even settle for the appetizers. We settle for the carrot sticks and the celery when God has prepared for us a feast of gratitude. So many things that we can be thankful for. At the basic root of what it means to be human is a desire to find the good stuff in life. And we are born with this nagging reality that something is just not the way that it should be. We're born with this fear that somehow we are missing out on something. It starts really early. I don't want to go to bed, Mom, because I'm afraid that I might miss something. And for many of us, like Solomon in Ecclesiastes, whom we looked at a few weeks ago, we spend our entire lives in a quest to try to find the good stuff. And as we press for the good stuff, uh, we find ourselves continually battling this nagging feeling that something is missing. We think that through family we'll find the good stuff, and we love our families, and we love our spouse, and we think, boy, this will be, this will be uh, complete me. This will make me an entire person. And so we get married, and we have children, and, and we enjoy all the things that go along with family life, but yet there's still something that's just not quite complete. There's still something that's missing, and sometimes we don't even appreciate our family because we're longing for this family that exists within our, our minds that we think our family should be instead of actually loving our real family 
family. And so sometimes we turn to religion and we think, if, I'm, if I go to church, if I do Christian things like drink coffee, because everybody knows Christians love coffee, if I drink coffee and learn to play the guitar and download a Bible app on my phone, and if I send the kids to camp, if I learn the words to 10,000 reasons, if, if I do these Christian things, then I will be complete and I will have found the good stuff. And yet, even though we do some of these Christian things, we still find ourselves in some way missing. So we go back to school and we think, well, I need to get more education. And so we go to school and we ask tough questions and we study subjects that we're interested in and we obtain a bachelor's degree, maybe a master's degree, maybe a doctorate degree, and you achieve this level of excellence in your education pursuit. And as you're walking the stage, you still have this reality that something's still not complete. I'm still missing out on something. And so we pursue it within our occupations. We think, if I just can get that promotion, if I can get to that office, if I can get to that pay level, then I'll be okay. And eventually you get to that point and you start making more money and you think, this will be my ticket to freedom. Now that I have more income, now I'll have more freedom, I'll be able to do the things that I want, I'll be able to enjoy the good stuff of life, and money will be my green ticket to freedom. And so you start pursuing the enjoyments of life and you have some epicurean within your lifestyle and you live for the adrenaline rushes and you live to plan the next trip and go see the next place and you go on those vacations and you enjoy those trips and you jump out of the airplanes and you do those things that build the adrenaline rushes within you and yet there's still something that just isn't right. And then you start getting older and so you start thinking, well, I need to make my life safe and if I can be safe, then I'll be okay. And so you get the largest gun collection in Texas and you eliminate risk from your life and you put things into your life that build peace and quiet and you think, now I'll enjoy the good stuff and now I've found uh, what life is really all about. We all chase it. Some of us aggressively, some of us passively, some of us deceitfully, some of us honestly. But we're all chasing the good stuff. We're all chasing freedom. We're all chasing whatever it is that will just eliminate this nagging reality within me and make me a truly grateful person. And yet for many of us, the more that we chase it, the more we feel trapped. Have you ever thought about this? Who has more freedom in life, the three-year-old child playing in the toy room or the mother that's cleaning the dishes in the 500-square-foot kitchen? Who's more free? Who's more free, the 10-year-old out back playing football or his dad trying to figure out how to fit all the luggage into the $50,000 SUV? Who has more freedom? A lot of times, the more we chase it, the less freedom we really have in life. Sometimes even the more we chase it, the less grateful we are in life. Today I want to talk to you about qualities of a thankful person. My prayer throughout this entire series is that when we sit down for Thanksgiving Day, that throughout this whole month we'll have been preparing our hearts and our minds to understand what gratitude is and to truly be a grateful person. And I want to begin with this thought. A thankful person understands that Christ liberates me from captivity. A thankful person understands that Christ frees me from the trap of life. He liberates me. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible says, Christ 
has liberated us to be free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Now going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, two tragic things happened when humankind sinned. Number one, the peace of the creation, the shalom to use the Hebrew word, the balance, the tranquility, the peace of God's creation that caused him to look at it and say, ah, this is good. That was fractured so that the world around us lives with a tension. And within our nature, there is an inclination or a sin nature that leads us to rebel against God, that leads us to do things that are wrong. So you and I and little Johnny are born trapped in a world that is now stained by sin. So the world is not the way that it's supposed to be. And we also have a sin nature within us that leads us to rebel against those things that are right. And our soul tells us that something isn't right. Romans 1, 2, and 3 talks about the fact that within the human heart there is this basic understanding, this consciousness that something is not right. And so we chase after more from a very, very early age, and then we begin falling into this trap because the more we chase after it, the more captive we seem to be. Now, into this scene, God drops the cross. God so loves the world that he sends his son, what we're going to talk about all next month. And Christ lives the life that you and I could never live. Christ lives a life of sinlessness. And Christ dies on the cross for you and for me. He dies for our sin. And on the cross, he absorbs the wrath of God for sin. On the cross, the scriptures talk about the wages of sin is death. And on the cross, Christ takes on the punishment of our sin. And then Jesus does something that none of us can do. He overcomes death. The Heavenly Father raises him from the dead. And the Scriptures call us to believe in him. And they say when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are saved, we are forgiven, because when we repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus, spiritually God sees us now in his cross, in in his Son. So even though I have sinned, I am justified because God sees me in Christ. Even though I will die physically, I live eternally because God sees me in Christ. Even though I have sinned and deserve punishment for my sin, God loves me and extends to me grace instead because he has poured out his wrath upon his son. In his son, we have been forgiven. In his son, we have been justified. Through his son, we have been extended grace. Has there ever been a time in your life when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If you were to die today and and stand before the gates of heaven and God were to ask you, why should I let you in, what would your answer be? Well, I've been a good guy. I've done this. I've done this. I didn't hurt anybody. What would your answer be? Well, the biblical answer is, I've trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. See me in Christ. Don't see me for who I am. 
See me in Christ. I've trusted in him. I'm believing in him. For me, that moment occurred whenever I was six years old. Don't push kids away from the gospel. Answer their questions. Walk with them. You don't have to rush them. But don't push children away from the gospel. I was six years old whenever the Lord began to convict my heart and show me my need for Christ. One night I bowed beside my bed with my father and I prayed and I asked the Lord to forgive me of my sins and place my faith in Jesus Christ. And that was the day in my life that I was saved. That's when I became a born-again Christian. That's when I received the forgiveness of God. For others, it may have occurred at different stages of life. And certainly from there, there have been moments where God has grown me in the faith and matured me and shown me things that I didn't know as a six-year-old boy. I didn't understand all the scriptures. I just understood I needed Christ. A couple weeks ago in the 830 service, we baptized Kobe Weaver. Kobe, I won't say how old he is, but he's not a young guy. He's baptized. He realized his need later on in life that he needs Christ as his Lord and Savior. I want you to know this morning, you don't have to be trapped on the treadmill of yuck. Christ has liberated me to live in the freedom of the gospel. There's a better way to live in the freedom of Jesus Christ. A thankful person, secondly, learns to recognize the good stuff. Look at verse 19. Now, this is the opposite of the good stuff. Paul says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. What are the works of the flesh? Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul says uh, the works of the flesh are obvious. Now, they're obvious to us as believers, to a lot of people in this world. uh, This isn't that obvious. This is just life. This is how you live. You, you live with these qualities in your life. Well, Paul says to a believer in Jesus Christ, this type of life and practicing this type of lifestyle, yeah, maybe you have an outburst of anger along the way or you have a selfish ambition that gets a hold of you, but to practice this, to live in this, you, you realize this is not what God has called us to. This is garbage. This is a garbage way of living. You know, in life, the, there's a lot of garbage. I used to do mission work in Acuna, Mexico, and we'd go down to this very impoverished colonia and try to help the people. And one of the things that I became grateful for during that mission work was uh, sewers. I became very grateful for garbage collectors. You go a few weeks without collecting the garbage, and your society starts having some real problems. If you don't have good sewage systems, the society has real problems after a while. Well, for a lot of us, there's a lot of people living their lives in the garbage dump. This passage of Scripture that we described here, that's how they live day in and day out. Uh, The garbage is overflowing, and folks in the garbage dump, they want to pull you down there with them. They want you to be a junkyard dog, too, to live in the garbage dump with them. Understand this, what we take into our minds, it affects our behavior. Now, maybe it doesn't affect you immediately. You say, well, Ash, I can handle it. You know, I can, I can deal with this. I can look at that. I can go to that. I can handle it. Maybe it doesn't affect you immediately, but you continue to feast on that and live in that. 
over time, it starts changing your thinking. It starts changing your values. It starts changing your relationship. It starts changing your lives. If you live in the garbage dump, it takes away your gratitude. It takes away your joy and your peace. Hey, does anybody have any negative people in your life? Any negative people in your life? Wow, you guys are around a bunch of positive folks, I tell you. Wake up now, right? Negative people in our lives just wanting to drag us down. Have you uh, looked at some of the movies that are out there these days? Read some of the lyrics that are in the songs? Internet, television. There are all sorts of opportunities out there to fill our minds with garbage. And we say to ourselves, I can handle it. I'm cool. This is great. Don't worry about it. But ultimately, that garbage starts gnawing away at your gratitude. It starts changing you. It starts changing the way you see the world, and it it starts changing the way that you treat other people as well. But then Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit, capital S or little s? Which one is it? Y'all talk to me, okay? Hey, nudge the person next to you and wake them up, all right? It was cold outside. The heat's working in here right now, at least where I'm standing. And uh, so, so nudge the person next to you, and if they fall asleep again, threaten to put a turkey leg down there. No, 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 don't do that. But uh, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, that wasn't very fruit of the Spirit-like of me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, do you see the contrast between the first list that we looked at and this list? It's drastic. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. A thankful person learns to think thanks. This is the good stuff. This is what you've been longing for. This is the person that you desire to be. This is what you've been pushing towards. This is what you've been striving to become. This is what begins to fill that vacancy within your soul whenever the fruit of the Spirit takes root within your soul and you become that person who lives in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and that begins flowing within you. When that reality occurs, you're on your way to delighting in the Lord. You're on your way to truly being that thankful person. You're on that way to truly making a difference with the life that God has given you. Now let's talk about some steps to thinking thanks. The first one is that we have to draw close to the Holy Spirit. This is called the fruit of the Spirit. You don't have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all these things flowing out of you because of trying harder. You don't don't just make a decision one day. Okay, now I'm going to be a more fruitful person. I'm going to be this person. No, it it flows out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, uh, as Baptists, I'm going to be real... Baptisty here, okay? As Baptist, is that a word? As Baptist, we have tended to neglect the Holy Spirit. We're afraid that if we uh, clap too much or have too much fun in the happy song that people will say, oh, they're charismatics. And so as Baptists, we tend to be a little bit more reserved and, and we tend to not talk about the Holy Spirit as much as we should. And I want to remind you this morning that the Holy Spirit is not a junior executive within the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three-in-oneness of God. 
God the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Son and God the Father. And we are in desperate need of the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that brings healing to our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that leads us and directs us and gives us wisdom. We have to tune our lives in to the Holy Spirit. And the Scriptures teach us that the Spirit is a gift to the believer, that whenever you believe in Christ, the Spirit indwells us and He leads us through life. He leads us away from the garbage dump and towards those things which are fruitful in life. Do I have any hunters in the house today? Got a few hunters. Dusty, you're a hunter nowadays? All right. Uh, Waylon Langford. Is Waylon in here or is he out in the lobby? Do you know what? Our our own Waylon Langford the other day got himself a 19-point buck. And it was so big that it's being scored by uh, magazine people are coming to him. And and literally... uh, those of you that know what this means, it's over 200 on the B and C scale. And it's going to be in the top four whitetail bucks ever shot in the state of Texas. So tell him congratulations and be careful what you say around him at the same time. Okay, he's a good guy. Uh, but, but he, you know, he, he's a hunter and he knows this, that a, a good hunter has to follow the leads. You have to check out the tracks. You have to understand the terrain. You have to understand where the animals are, and, and you have to follow the leads to get to the good stuff. Well, the Holy Spirit is our leader, and He is leading us to those things in life which are fruitful. And the more we tune the radio dial of our soul into Him, the more He leads us to these things that are fruitful in life, and the more He leads us away from the garbage dumps of life. If I'm going to think thanks, I have to tune myself into the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, I have to refuse to be held captive by legalism. There are always going to be some people in your life who want you to live in the garbage. There is always going to be the temptation in life to play the comparison game, to spend your life trying to be better than others. There's always going to be that temptation to want somebody else's life, to covet. I, I don't like my life enough. It's, it's not what I envisioned at one time. And there's always going to be that temptation to want somebody else's life. And there's always going to be people out there trying to convince you that God only loves you for your loveliness. That's the root of legalism that God will love me if I do this, and if I don't do this, he will take his love away from me. One of the greatest tragedies that I see as a pastor is when someone is set free by Christ, they experience salvation, and they are set free in him, and then they run into Mr. Captive Christian. Now, Mr. Captive Christian, he looks the part, He has a broad smile whenever he gives them the right hand of fellowship. He has the appropriate scowl when the band plays the wrong songs or the word internet is mentioned. And and he has a worn Bible and he has a fish on the back of his car and he has Sandy Patty on his iPod. He, 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 He looks the part of a good Christian, but the problem is, is that he is very good at church, but poor at pursuing God. 
He does Christian things, but he doesn't really know God. And he lives in the garbage pit, and he would love to add you to his company. And so captive Christianity tries to convince you of this, that God's love for you comes and goes based upon your good works. It is a sister to the idea that God extends grace to me whenever I do something right and takes away grace whenever I do something wrong. And the end result of legalistic Christianity is this mindset that whenever I stand before the Heavenly Father, there will be these scales. And if I've done enough right things, then God will let me in. And if I've done too many bad things, then God will say, get away from me. And so we live in this this balance here, this tension here, where if I get up and go to church on a cold day, then I get two chips of grace. And if I stay in bed on this day, then I lose two chips of grace. And some of you are saying, well, I knew I should have stayed in bed there if I'm not going to lose the grace. But, but we live in this reality, or this, this tension between the two, and we think if I do good, God will love me, and if I do bad, God won't love me. Well, understand this. God's love for you was, is, and always will be found in Christ and extended to you through grace. God's love for us is not based upon our loveliness. God doesn't love me one day because I did the right thing and take away his love the next day because I did the wrong thing. No, God says, are you in my son? Have you believed in Christ? Yes, I believed in Christ. Then I love you in Christ because he has lived the life you couldn't live. He has died on the cross for your sins. He has overcome death for you. I love you in him. I don't love you because of how good you are. I love you because I extend to you grace. His love for you is, was, and always will be anchored in grace. God cannot love you more than what he loved you when Christ died for you on the cross. We get up and go to church. We read our Bibles. We give to the offering. We treat people well. Not so that God might somehow see goodness in me and love me. We do these things because we are loved by God. We do these things because our soul is overflowing with gratitude. We do these things because our life is an entire act of worship. Please, please, please don't let somebody drag you down into the garbage pit of legalism and start living this Christian life that God will only love me if. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. While we were yet sinners, Christ demonstrated his love in this way, that Christ died for me because God so loved the world, he sent his son. I wasn't even alive when that happened, but God loved me. God loves you through the grace. And we serve him out of gratitude. Think fruitful thoughts. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Sometimes in life, we have to apply the is it test. Is this fruitful or is it garbage? Is this leading me to delight and have joy in God or is it leading me towards the garbage dump? Ask yourself the question, is it love 
Is this in the best interest of God and others? Is it joy? Does this lead me to delight in God? Is it peace? Is the presence of God in this? Is it patience? Have my desires gotten ahead of God's timing? We talked about a couple weeks ago that God is never late, but He's rarely early. God's always right on time. And sometimes we need more patience because our desires get ahead of God's timing. Is it kindness? Is my attitude in need of adjustment here? Is it goodness? Will this add virtue to life? Is it faith? Am I relying on God or myself in this? Is it gentleness? Am I being prideful or humble? Is it self-control? Am I choosing to follow the Spirit or am I choosing to follow the flesh? Is it? Are you living in the fruit of the Spirit? Is it flowing through you? I want to close this series by looking at the passage of Scripture that we began the series with in Romans chapter 5. If you have your Bible, your app, go over there with me to Romans 5, uh, 1 through 9. Because I think we need to really remember the source of gratitude. Because if we're trying to find that source from any other root, we're going to get off base. The source of gratitude is Jesus Christ. And we're going to remember Christ and what He's done for us today at the time of commitment as well. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace with God is found through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, we have also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions, our suffering, How can I do that? Because we know that affliction produces endurance and endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. Verse 5, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us for while we were still helpless, while I was still a sinner, while I was still in captivity, At the appointed time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. And then look at verse 8, because this has been our anchor passage to this whole series. But God proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. God proved His love for me. He demonstrated His love when Christ died on the cross for me. And that's where you'll find the good stuff. When you realize that your source of gratitude is the forgiveness that God extends to you. It's your walk with God. It's the fruit of the Spirit flowing within you. That's where true gratitude comes. And so today we're going to remind ourselves of the source of gratitude. Instead of eating a feast of thanksgiving, instead of eating turkey and stuffing and cranberries, we are eating from the Lord's table. He encouraged believers to remember Him this way, to take of the bread and remember that His body was broken for our sins, to drink of the juice or the wine and to remember that His blood was shed so that we might be set free from the captivity of sin. 
And so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ during our time of commitment today, I invite you to come to one of these three stations. There's one right here in front of me. There's one in the back corner there and one in the back corner over there. Our deacons will be there and they will serve you. You can take the cup and the bread and then you can go back to your seat. You may desire to have a family time of prayer, a moment alone with the Lord, and then you can take of the Lord's Supper there at your seat. And we're doing this to remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're doing this remembering where our source of gratitude comes from. We're doing this because we are a thankful people. Can we stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we come to a time of commitment? You say, but Lash, I'm not a, I, I haven't yet come to that point in my life where I've believed. Now, if you're not a believer in Christ, I, I encourage you to abstain from the Lord's Supper. That's what the Scriptures teach. But today can be that day where you make that decision. I'll be here at the front, and I would be glad to pray with you and to help you so that you can leave here today knowing that Christ is your Savior. If there's anything that I can pray with you about or help you with, it's always my honor to pray with you, to be here for you. Heavenly Father, we come to this very special moment. This moment where we remember our, our Savior. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for his death on the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Help us, Lord, to be a grateful people. Father, so often we turn to all these other things hoping to find the good stuff. We are mindful today that the great joys of life are found in you. So may we delight in you. May we find our identity in you. And Lord, may gratitude flow from us. Help us, Lord, not to live in those garbage dumps of life. Help us to live with the fruit of the Spirit flowing within us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and worship. Amen.